You want to track with me? Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 49. Now in our text this morning, Jesus addresses some pertinent issues with his disciples. Uh, some issues that uh, are within them that come to the surface. Namely, John, but John and James uh, specifically, but specifically John, he really uh, does something unique in. Now, I want you to think about this. These disciples are walking with Jesus for three and a half years. And as they're walking with Jesus for these three and a half years, uh, there's another text in the Gospels that shows us some insight that says, if all the deeds and words of Jesus Christ were recorded, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to capture every single thing that Jesus did. So what we have in the Gospels is we have a portion, a narrative of the story of Jesus Christ. But John tells us that there's things that he did that if we were just to write down every single thing, it would just be impossible to capture. So, so here are these disciples that are walking with Jesus and they've been with him for three and a half years. They've heard every parable, they've heard every lesson, they've heard every single teaching of Jesus. They've seen him raise the dead, they've seen him heal the sick, they've seen him uh, open blind eyes, they've seen all these miraculous things. And the whole time, Jesus is telling them that he's going to go this path of a suffering servant, that he is going to be placed into the hands of sinful men, that he's, he's going to be crucified and murdered. But don't lose heart, because on the third day, everybody say the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. But after seeing all these other true things that Jesus said, they had trouble understanding that one. Because as he is getting arrested, do they stand up in faith and go, well, hey, in three days he's going to raise from the dead. Don't worry about it, guys. No, when Jesus is arrested, they all run. They flee. And then when Jesus does raise from the dead, are they looking for him? Oh, some ladies have to tell the guys that Jesus is risen. And I'm afraid it hadn't changed too much today. Now, don't get too joyous there, ladies. No. So that's the, that's the reality of it, is that they weren't looking for him. Jesus actually has to walk through a wall to even bust into the disciples and their pity party as he's risen from the dead. They're hiding. So that reveals something to us. How many of us know that we can be following Jesus for some time, even be in the same room with him, even be uh, going to services consistently, but something in the heart of God not be making itself manifest into our heart? Everything went the way Jesus said it was, would go, but yet the disciples are hiding. They're not walking in their calling that God had called them to walk into. And we can even sometimes be well-meaning while we're missing it. Have you ever been really well-meaning and still missed it? Yeah, it's not really an attitude of character even. It's walking in the same wavelength in the heart of God. 
And Jesus wants to do a heart work in us where we have not just knowledge of Jesus, but we have the heart of Jesus as well. Jesus accomplishes his task in a way we wouldn't expect. But somehow God's ways are much more effective and God-honoring than we could even have imagined. And Jesus is always in the middle of tension. How many of you like tension? I spend my life trying to get away from tension. Oh, there's tension there. See ya. Jesus is always in the middle tension. It's like he lives in tension. He's not moved by tension. He's willing to stay in tension until it gets resolved. Wow. Jesus is secure enough in himself that he doesn't have to run and hide. He can just be. He can just be. God wants you to just be. Jesus is all about tension. Jesus, if I was to say, let's all say a name for Jesus out here. Everybody would have a name. Do you know the name we probably wouldn't hear? Jesus, friend of sinners. <laughs> tension. Because nobody hates sin worse than Jesus. But yet nobody loves sinners more than Jesus. It's that Jesus is always in a place of tension. He's always bringing his disciples in a place of tension. So that we can resolve the tension and walk into the heart of God. That's why when you hear something new that is true and backed up by the Bible and it goes against what you've been taught your whole life, your heart's leaping for joy, but your mind's going, no, I don't want, no, 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 no. And your heart and your spirit man's just, yes, yes, yes. And your head's saying, no, 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 this can't be. It's about living in the tension because you can't apprehend the things of God by the natural man. Your natural man is at enmity with God. Romans 8, 6. The mind of man is at enmity, at war with God. But the spiritual minded, the spiritual man is into life and peace and walking into the heart of God. So this is about having God's heart. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 to 56. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we forbid, forbade him because he does not follow with us. So somehow this man has heard the name of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and he left Jesus and then started doing the works of Jesus. And the disciples get wind of this guy doing this, and they go up and rebuke the guy who's doing the works of Jesus. And then they go brag to Jesus as if they've done something good. Have you ever done that? Lord, I really told, I, show, I set them straight. <laughs> a 
Come on now. Somehow this man that's following Jesus, he, he, he's doing this, he does this works out here, and the ones who are with him are upset because he doesn't run in our pack. Let me tell you something. God's bigger than our pack. God's bigger than the assemblies of God. God's bigger than all of that stuff that man came up with. I'm just here to tell you, God's big. Verse 50, but listen to what Jesus said. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So this man who is not walking with Jesus, just doing the works, actually has the heart of God more than those who would claim to be lock and step with Jesus. Verse 51, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now the ancient writers, this was a plot movement. This was a pivotal moment in this gospel. When Jesus had set his face, this means he was going to the cross. Ezekiel uses this language in Ezekiel chapter 2 when he says that he was going to set his face like a stone, like a flint toward the things and the realities. A flint is a knife. They would make flint knives in antiquity. So what Jesus is saying here is when he set his face, this idiom means that he's becoming a knife to go into Jerusalem to cut out the heart of every religious thing that would stop the works of God and the power of God and the accessibility of God that he's coming in to circumcise every bit of flesh that would stand in the way of the power of God and what he wanted to do in the earth. So Jesus is setting his face like a flint, like a knife. But little did we know that the knife was going to be used on him. Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem. Isn't it odd that Jesus could have appeared anywhere? He could have went to New Guinea where there was cannibalism. And he could have went anywhere. But he chooses to go to the most religious place in human history, first century Jerusalem. Because if he don't deal with that demon those other demons are going to be able to run rampant. Jesus is setting his face. Verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face, and they went and they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. So here's Jesus, and he's setting his face like a flint to Jerusalem. And he's getting ready to take his disciples to celebrate Passover. Now what would happen is some Galileans would consider Samaria to be too dirty. It's a mixed race of people that is not clean. So the real pious and religious Jews would take the long way around Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Jesus takes the straightest point from point A to point B. So while he's in Samaria, and he's looking for a place 
to stay, sends his disciples out. Now watch this in verse 53. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So those that would walk around and go to Jerusalem, those that would go through Samaria to Jerusalem, Jesus is now in the middle of a tension. The Samaritans had a rivalry with the Jews. When the ten northern tribes of Israel were conquered, the Assyrians came in. And how the Assyrians did war was they would come in, take anybody of any value, take them back to themselves, put their people to establish their culture, and uh, put their people in and, and let them live there. And so what happened was is there was a mixing of races. And so the Samaritans were looked down upon by the pious Jews. And so there was a rivalry that was taking place. When the Judah had finally gotten conquered, the, the, southern tribe, the two southern tribes to the south had gotten conquered, what happened was is that they went to Babylon. But after 70 years of captivity, as Jeremiah prophesied, they get to come back into their land when the Persians con conquered the Babylonians. And as they're coming back, they get to go in. Well, the Samaritans show up and say, we want to help you build the temple. The Jews say, no, you can't help us build the temple. You're the wrong race. You're mixed up. You've got to go out there. So this sparked a feud. And by the second century B.C., one of the Maccabean kings destroys a temple that they had in Samaria. And the wars got so bad that the Roman emperor had to intervene to split the two apart. So the Samaritans said, well, forget your holy places. We've got our holy places. So they created their holy place on Mount Gerizim. They created the Samaritan Pentateuch. They created their own Bible. So they were content. So Jesus is going through Samaria, and the Samarians reject him because here he is in Samaria, and he's not willing to stay there. He's got to go to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans are mad that he's not going to stay, that he's going to Jerusalem, and the Jews are mad that he's going to come into Jerusalem. So Jesus is in a place of tension. And that's where he lives. He's always at a place of tension. Stuck in the middle. Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? They probably thought, Man, we know our Bibles. <laughs> and we know how God reacts when he gets rejected. Let's go impress Jesus with our Bible knowledge. Jesus. Know that story about Elijah. Let's call fire down, right? Look what Jesus says. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what you know, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. 
For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. But you know what? It, isn't that kind of our default position when we get opposed or when something doesn't go our way? Don't we normally call down for the fire of judgment? I do it all the time. Our country's spinning out of control. We've never been more polarized than we've ever been in human history. Every new day reveals another controversy that's just as wicked as the one before and even more so. I mean, when did we get the idea that murdering a baby up to the day that it's going to be born is going to be okay? How do you get there? Thank you, Lord. How do we get there? How did we get there? And you know a part of me, what I want to say? God, you remember what Elijah did. Burn them up. Send fire and burn them up. Our first impulse is fire. Our impulse is judgment. But Jesus, our impulse is different. Say that these judgments must be right because Jesus, they're rejecting you. It's like the disciples, they're rejecting you. Have this lex talionis mentality, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What was done to me, let it be done to you. And John and James, let's give them some credit. They probably thought they had Jesus back. Jesus, I got your back. Call down fire. It looked that way. Jesus, you're right. We're with you. So fry them like sausages. And wouldn't that be a lot easier? It'd be easier if your enemies just got blown up. And you could have everybody that thought like you, looked like you, got along with. Oh, what a utopian society. Everybody as righteous as you. But the problem is, the Bible says no one's righteous. No, not one. That we've all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned our back on the shepherd. Jesus great shepherd says you don't even know what spirit you are of it does seem easier doesn't it it's wrong send the fire and God has the audacity to say things like this love your enemies 
and bless those who curse you. Oh! Fire! Fire! Blow them up. I'm right. They're wrong. End of it. See, God's always in the tension. He's always in the middle of the paradox, the tough place. But God. (laughs) But God. That God even enters into the tension of human flesh. How mixed up have you been? I don't know about you, but I get pretty daggum mixed up. And Jesus takes on the sarks. Flesh. The messed up part of us. And he steps into it and cocoons himself into it. And says, I'm enough to overcome this. I'll be tempted at all points, yet without sin. That God becoming a man tells us this. That God is willing to get into the middle of our problem. And to work the problem out from the inside out. Not dropping fire from the outside in. Jesus becomes flesh. Dwells among us. 100% God, 100% man. So that if anybody's in Christ, even though you're 100% man, you're 100% with God. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, do, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. You know, as you read the Bible, fire wasn't all that wrong of an assumption on John's part. I can see how he came up with that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. That's right. Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire prepared for his devil, for the devil and his angels. Psalm 89, 46, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Numbers 11, 1, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Numbers 16.35, And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 10, But Elijah answered to the captain of the 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Sounds a lot like fire and judgment. Well, there must be two kinds of fires. There must be a fire of judgment. There must be another fire. It's like that fire is coming. But the age of grace that Jesus Christ has instituted is buying us time 
so that we might respond to God and be consumed by Him and not be consumed by the judgment of God. That Jesus is in the tension of these two realities. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened up the scriptures? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hmm. Sounds a lot like fire. One that destroys, but one that purifies. One that is a judgment unto death, and one that is a judgment unto life. Now watch this. Remember the guy that wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans? John gets his wish. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came to many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, there was so much joy in that city. Now watch this. Skip down to verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Verse 15. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So John didn't get to call the fires of judgment down on the Sumerians, but he did get to call down the fire of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost to come down and rest upon these Samaritans. And they begin to be burned up, not in judgment, but burned up with the the passion and the fire of God. They begin to be burning vessels, burning men that would go out into their cities and begin to change everything. That wouldn't just be able to address the problem and declare judgment, but they would be able to enter the problem the way Jesus did and have a solution and preach the gospel and ask that the Holy Spirit would fall and that they would be filled. Our first impulse should be to call down the Holy Ghost and preach the gospel. See, we can run to God and fall into His love and be burned up. Or we can run from God and the fires of judgment fall on us in a painful way. See, it's the same fire. 
One is just willing to go into the judgment of God on sin, which is Jesus Christ. The judgment of God on sin was Jesus. So those of us that go into him get burned up. And how many of you love to feel the fire and the presence of God burn you up? That's why I can preach a sermon and some people say, Woo, you got to... Whoa. Fire. That's why you can preach a sermon and some people can say, Ooh, you got on my toes, Pastor. I needed that. Yes. That's why you can preach a sermon and people walk out mad. That's why you can give an altar call and say, Come down and experience the fire of God. And you've got some going, Woo! Yeah! And you've got others go. Let's get out of here. This place is crazy. They they all about some crazy stuff up in here. I ain't about to get this. I gotta get my buffet top and I and then I got this. So I <laughs> why some will come down and lay on their face before the altar looking like a fool and say, God, burn up every bit of me that doesn't look like you. (laughs) While others will say, I'm not going there because I've got to keep my pride and my dignity intact. (laughs) It's the same fire. Just one ask for it, the others run from it. Our nation needs the fire of God. Our nation needs a move of God. But do you know what the troubling matter is? The church needs it first. And if the church doesn't experience it, how will the world experience it? Who knows the bridegroom better than the bride? Who's going to tell the world how the bridegroom is? Got to be zealous for the fire of God. Rest easy, I'm closing. Here's these certain plants. They're called phyrophactic plants. I believe it's the word. There's one called the lodgepole pine. And when it drops a seed, it covers that seed with resin so tightly and so securely that the seed can't even grow. The only way that this seed gets to grow is if a forest fire breaks out and that resin begins to melt and expose that seed then the tree grows. I'm here to tell you that hard-hearted teenager in your house ain't going to move until the fire of God burns away that stony shell. That hard-hearted husband in your house ain't moving until the fire of God burns him up. 
Man, that wife that you feel like you're dragging along with you ain't going to move until the fire of God falls and it falls afresh on your heart and on your life. I'm telling you right now, as bad as you want it, God wants to do it that much more. That the Father heart of God 